In a world consumed with busyness, noise, and anxiety, the Christian ashram movement provides a group discipline focused on the kingdom of God, self-surrender, the word become flesh, and the proclamation of Jesus is Lord. Join us on this first season of the Christian Ashram International Podcast as we meet women and men from around the world who serve as leaders in this movement. We want to welcome you to the Christian Ashram Podcast. My name is Reverend Matthew Henson. I'm a member of the Board of Directors of the Christian Ashram. And it's great to have with us today um, Brother Roberto Escamilla. Uh, I had the opportunity to meet uh, Brother Roberto several years ago at Congress on Evangelism, um, and uh, he was working at that time with uh, Hispanic pastors uh, in a track for them during Congress on Evangelism, and then um, learned more about this Christian ashram uh, and his role in the Christian ashram. And so we are honored to have him with us today so that we can uh, pick his brain a little bit, share with, uh, have him share with us a little bit about the Christian ashram and what it means uh, to him and his history um, with the Christian Ashram. So, Brother Roberto, it's great to have you uh, with us on the podcast today. Thank you for the privilege, and may I say that you're not only a member of the board, we are rejoicing that you will become one of the four as uh, expected an election at this board meeting. So, congratulations. Thank you. Very honored to be um, a part of the four and be working with you uh, in the coming days. Uh, I want you to share with us today, um, how did you first meet Brother Stanley, E. Stanley Jones? Back in the uh, mid-1950s, uh, 55, I met him at uh, Texas Ashram in Kerrville, Texas. We were holding an, an ashram, and Dorothy, my wife, and myself were attending the ashram, and I was so impressed with his messages, his spirit, his attitude, that it revolutionized my whole understanding of ministry. I had just graduated from seminary. I had all the theological training that we get at seminaries. But I needed the, the passion, the commitment, the ability to preach uh, with conviction. And I learned that from E. Stanley Jones at that time. And I was so inspired with uh, his wonderful spirit. The following year, I asked him to baptize our first child, Marlene. And I believe it it was the only time he baptized anybody in America. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah, and I've had the opportunity to travel to India with Marlene. Uh, and so uh, know her deep love and your family's deep love for Brother Stanley. So you met in the mid-1950s, but I know that you then became more active in some of the ministry that Brother Stanley was doing. Tell me a little bit about how you became more involved with him. I became more involved when uh, he and I would talk about South America and how we needed to take the ashram to Chile, Argentina, Bolivia, And at that time, he asked me if I would be willing to be his travel companion and also his interpreter. And of course, it was a high privilege for me to be asked. And we made several journeys, several missionary journeys throughout uh, Mexico, Puerto Rico, South America. And during all that time, I 
was given, uh, again, a privilege of getting to know the man and the, 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 his personal life, his discipline, his spirit. Tell me more about the man, E. Stanley Jones, this discipline, this spirit. Uh, you talk about passion. Tell me a little bit about E. Stanley Jones. A caring man. Uh, you know, he always said a Christian is one who cares. He cared for people individually. He tried to remember their name. He, uh, he was excellent in counseling. Of course, I was interpreting his counseling interviews. Humility, that was his middle name. He never bragged about himself. He never talked too much about himself. He was always willing to listen to people. So as a man, as a person, as an individual, I would say humility, discipline, vision, and caring for people. You know, and he talks about um, the Christian ashram being that place for disciplined community and, and discipline and accountability. How did he live that discipline out in his daily life? No question about the fact that he practiced what he preached. Ten o'clock at night, silence, silent time like we have now in the ashrams, ideally. He would go to bed regularly, uh, 9.30, 10. He would do physical exercises before going to bed. He would get up uh, the next morning, sometimes 4 or 5 in the morning for prayer time. And in his prayer time, he would always say, God, what do you have to tell me today? And he would listen. And he was uh, obedient to God's guidance as to what he was to do and preach about. Then we'll have breakfast. Again, a very methodical man. He ate pretty much the same thing every day. Uh, wise nutritionist, much prior to the time that nowadays we know a lot about nutrition. And then he went about his day with intensity, with authenticity, with commitment to follow schedule, not only in preaching, but in counseling and uh, dealing with people, including the work hour. He took that very seriously also. Physical labor as part of the spiritual experience. Now you talk about his time at four and five in the morning, if I remember correctly. He called that his listening post. That is um, correct. You know, it really wasn't so much that he would tell God what... He thought God needed to hear, but he wanted to hear from God yes. in that time. The listening post, that's exactly right, quiet hour. And as you were traveling with him, you were still pastoring a church at that time, or were you um, in another position in ministry? I was pastoring a church, but I would ask uh, my board to give me a week or two weeks or longer, sometimes as my vacation time, in order for me to travel with him. Eventually, I was on the staff of a board, and it was easier for me to get away. 
and we, after spending time with him, keeping up with his preaching schedule, I know in some of his writings that talks about preaching more than six times a day, um, did you find yourself tired and just ready to be done, or did you find yourself rejuvenated by being around um, such a passionate man? Uh, both. Okay. <laughs> weary, weary sometimes. Because interpretation, as you know, is, is difficult to keep up with the speaker and cannot think what's going on in his mind and anticipate what he's going to say and say it correctly. So not to keep him waiting for the next sentence. So I learned the art of interpreting almost simultaneously. Uh, so as far as uh, he was far ahead of me, as far as uh, energy, uh, even though he was older, of course. But I learned the, the secret. He was relaxed. He was never under stress, regardless of how intensive his schedule was. Always relaxed and receptive to the grace of God. Now, the work that you all were doing in Mexico, Puerto Rico, South America, were those evangelistic events? Were those ashrams? Were there a mix of both uh, that were going on there? A mix of both. Uh, like in Mexico, we did ashrams during the day, and then at night he will go to a large church in Mexico City and preach. And so it happened also in South America, uh, not in every ashram, sometimes radio interviews, television in the evenings, so that he was loyal to the ashram during the day. And at night, sometimes we will have the television or radio program. So tell me a little bit about the Spanish ashrams, those that were started in Mexico and South America. Um, tell me a little bit about how they got started, and do some of those ashrams still exist today um, in South America? Yes, uh, I remember particularly the one for, for Cuban people in Miami because they were going through a lot of crisis. You know, they left the island and their families. So that stands uh, as a powerful witness of how Stanley Jones was able to help them deal with that reality yes. the, at that time. And uh, the way it got started, uh, we made contact with the leaders of the evangelical churches, it's called Iglesia Evangelica, uh, in Mexico and other countries, people who, pastors and bishops, people who were aware that there was a need for a spiritual retreat, but a different kind of a retreat. Okay. And when you would go to, were you basing in local churches? Were you going to community centers or campgrounds to do the ashrams? We were able to secure campgrounds to get away from the city. And in some of those, we reach uh, 80, 100 people and uh, have facilities in those campgrounds. And once those ashrams were started, did Brother Stanley return to them regularly or um, did he interact with them regularly? How did, how did those ashrams continue to we, grow? We uh, uh, named the 12 the board of directors of the local ashrams who would continue to secure sometimes local leaders. Other times she did return, 
uh, one particular location, he was not able to return, so he asked me to go by myself, to go on my own, which was the greatest challenge of my life. Mm -hmm. Okay. Of course. Okay. And where was that one that you were asked well, to go Several to? countries. One of oh, those several. South American okay. journeys, Chile, Argentina, Peru, Bolivia. Wow. All his itinerary. Because of very demanding schedule in the United States and Europe and Asia, right. he, couldn't, he couldn't continue that particular time. So I know that um, there was a World Christian Ashram held in Jerusalem. Was that in 1972? That is correct, yeah, early 70s. And at that time, Brother Stanley, as I understand it, um, set apart four men to be determined as the four. Can you tell me a little bit about um, Jerusalem? Tell me a little bit about that experience of being chosen as one of the four? Totally unexpected. Uh, on my part, he, he had gotten to know me, of course, traveling prior to that time. And he knew, because he had had a stroke prior to Jerusalem, he knew that he wanted a group of four people to be what he called the soul of the ashram. And when he chose me, I felt uh, obviously highly honored and privileged and I have taken that privilege very seriously, mainly to keep within the principles of an ashram, not to get away from those principles which are very important to the life of the ashram. I hope you're enjoying the interview. I want to take a moment to tell you about a wonderful opportunity. We want you to join us on a spiritual pilgrimage to the place that gave birth to the Christian ashram movement and experienced the majestic beauty and splendid cultures of India. The United Christian Ashram International Board is hosting a trip to India September 23rd through October 11th, 2020. We'll spend time during our first week traveling to many of the beautiful tourist spots in Delhi, Agra, and Jaipur. We'll go to places like the India Gate, Mahatma Gandhi Memorial, and the Taj Mahal. Then we'll travel up the mountain to Satal, where we will participate in the Winter Christian Ashram with brothers and sisters from India. The cost for the trip will be $2,200 to $3,000 per person, plus flight. The price really depends on the number of participants. The cost includes lodging, food, and transportation in India. If you're interested in learning more about this trip, please contact me. Matt at livingtheadventure.net or give me a call 618-830-6670. Let's go back to our interview. And there in Jerusalem, um, it was kind of a, uh, one of the last major times for him to share and to speak and, and the like because of the stroke. And then, uh, in 1973 with his passing, um, but as you were there in Jerusalem for this world method or world uh, Christian ashram, who all was there? Who who made up that world Christian ashram in 1972? A lot of people from the United States, primarily, a few from uh, India and a few local people. Uh, it was an international experience, so it was. Uh, 
many countries. Okay. Um, what, what does the ashram mean to you? If I just were to say, how has the Christian ashram um, deeply affected your life? How has um, the Christian ashram been a part of your family and a part of your Christian journey uh, with Christ? Where's, tell us about the Christian ashram and what it means to you. There is no other event in the life of the Christian church or in the history of the Christian church that is relevant, contemporary, biblical, and powerful, transforming. In my own life, I just felt that my ministry was re-energized. In my own personal life, I learned that we needed this idea of surrendering our problems, our obstacles, our resentments, our sins, surrendering daily. And that because of that surrender, we eliminate the toxicity of our lives. And when we become free from what he called those negative emotions, fear and worry and anxiety, then healing happens and energy happens, and we can become, uh, as he would say, the Word become flesh. In that Word becoming flesh, I know that you have continued since 1972 as one of the four to continue to work with the Christian ashram. You are uh, the last of those four, original four, uh, who were named, who is still a, a part of the Christian ashram, and... Um, and, and we're blessed by your continued work. Where do you see the Christian ashram in today's culture fitting in? Um, it has been said that by some that the Brother Stanley's writings and his works are more timely for now in the 21st century than they were in the 20th century when he originally uh, put them into print and spoke them. How do you see the Christian ashram being a part of a movement in the 21st century? But I think is the best kept secret the ashram is, and I'm so happy with what you and Jeremy are doing, to get the word out. To me, the ashram is filling a vacuum in the life of the church. There are other retreats, and I have high respect for other kinds of approaches to spiritual growth. But the ashram has some very unique uh, opportunities to, uh, as I said earlier, to be released from all the negative emotions, catharsis, and to be empowered by the Holy Spirit to live the Christian life from day to day, and to strengthen the church. But we are not isolated from the church. We are there to be empowered to serve Christ through the local church. Mm -hmm. And you talk about some of those unique things that make up the Christian ashram, you know, kind of putting you on the spot here for a moment, but, but what are some of those, th th what is some of that uniqueness I of am, the Christian ashram? I'm so glad you asked that question because that's what has meant so much to me. One, the discipline of silence, because in most cases we do not know what it is to be silent. I learned that to listen to God and to be contemplative 
uh, in prayer. The other one uh, is the healing uh, experience, which is unique, which is related uh, to the open heart experience where we share our needs and the healing becomes the answer to our needs. So that the healing service and then the overflowing heart is also unique. I don't find that in other retreats where people actually share their victory, partial victory or total victory. So those three, of course, the evangelistic hour, which has disappeared pretty much except for people like you that keep it alive, evangelism, the way to keep the church alive. It's very important to, to have the evangelist preach uh, about what it means, uh, conversion, the kingdom of God, and so forth. So those are some of the unique experiences. The fellowship, you know, the, the ability to be the kingdom of God in miniature, here and now. And when we talk about the kingdom of God in miniature, we talk about um, he, uh, there was an obsession that, that Brother Stanley had with surrender and with the kingdom of God. And when we see those two things, I, I believe there's even someone who said that everything that Brother Stanley spoke about came out at surrender or came out at the kingdom of God were kind of his two main topics. Um, but in a culture that we live in that is very noisy, the act of silence is, is overwhelming at times because we're so accustomed to having noise um, around us. Um, this idea of sharing our needs, we've become a culture that, that seems to want to just stay within ourselves. We're, we're concerned about community, uh, about sharing our needs, um, and then, but then to share our victories. Uh, I think there's beauty in that that comes out of that healing. Um, but as we talk about the kingdom of God, and we talk about a world right now where um, the world is flat in very in very many ways. We can communicate to people all over the world very simply. Simply, how do we convey this kingdom of God in a global world that is so interconnected? Where when you first started going to South America, we weren't connected in that way. So, so what are some of those growing edges for us as the Christian ashram as we proclaim this message of the kingdom of God? Te technology. The answer is technology. Yes. The digital world. You see people at the airports and grocery stores everywhere using their cell phones, which is a wonderful thing. Yeah. And you talk about noise, radio and television and CDs, whatever. So the answer to that question is intentionality, that we have to build it in and say, I'm going to be very serious about my time alone, my quiet hour. Get away from the noise. Turn off the television, radio. Get away to some place outdoors or indoors where we can really experience the presence of the Holy Spirit. I think there's it's a need for that, and people welcome it because they're tired of the noise, the noise pollution. And when they experience that intentional time of quietness, they know the difference. They feel the difference, the quality of their lives. So what's your dream or your vision 
for the Christian ashram for the next, you know, in, to, to accomplish or to begin to move towards in the next 5, 10, 50 years? What, what would be your dream and your vision? Being a man who has been a part of this since the mid-1950s, um, you know, what, what's your dream for the Christian ashram? If, I, if you could just convey a vision for us, what would that be? Number one, we make it truly ecumenical. It's not, it's not expected to be a Methodist or a Lutheran uh, event. Try everything to reach out to the Assemblies of God, Nazarenes, because they need this, and they welcome it when they are given an opportunity. Number two, uh, promotion, publicity, communication. As I said early, earlier, is the best kept secret. Uh, people don't know what the ashram is. And so I would think communication out to all denominations and even to the secular world. And the recent publications of his books, uh, thanks to the foundation and, Matt, and, and Matthew's uh, work, that now people can read those uh, resources. And the third will be uh, leadership, of course, that every ashram needs local leadership that will promote at a local level the, the ashrams that are being held all over the world. Mm -hmm. Well, as we come to kind of begin to wrap up this, this edition, is there something that you would want to share knowing that there's going to be people who will be hearing your words about the Christian ashram that you think is vitally important that maybe we haven't covered uh, in our time together today? Personally, uh, I like uh, Brother Stanley's legacy of doing a daily ashram, kind of a mini ashram, which means taking time for quiet time, taking time for a scripture reading, taking time for listening to God, taking time for intercessory prayer, and taking time to, to plan your own personal life as a disciplined life that sets priorities and gives high priority to doing the will of God. What is the will of God for my life? And that's why, personally, I have not uh, ever retired totally from ministry. Because for me, at a local church level now, primarily, is my life to be able to address the brokenness of people beginning with my own brokenness, with my own needs, and to have the humility to acknowledge that, that we're all with handicapping conditions, helping one another. Right. right. You know, brother, you have used the words intensity, intentional, disciplined, and I see all of those characteristics in you as well. The, the model the, the, the example that was set out before you and Brother Stanley is lived out in your life as well. And you've passed that on to the future generations. It is our hope, it's my hope, that um, 
that we'll be able to continue to live into um, that intensity, that intentionality, that discipline, that community, that silence, um, the mini ashram. There's so many pieces to this. And I want to tell you how much I've appreciated you um, taking time to be with us today. And uh, thank you for the blessing that you are to the Christian ashram and to the church. Thank you, Matt, for your words. I am, like Brother Stanley said, uh, a ransomed sinner by the grace of God, trying to grow daily into the life of Christ. Thank you all for uh, being a part of uh, this podcast and this video today. And uh, we hope that you'll be back uh, for future editions as we look at the Christian Ashram ministry.